0: Welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories Podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, your host, and today I'm going back into the archives to hear one of the most popular podcasts in our history, that being the creative story of former Michigan school teacher Heidi Bruder. Thanks for listening to the program, and be sure to subscribe to the Cedarville Stories Podcast so you won't miss a single episode. Now here's my conversation with teacher Heidi Bruder. Welcome to the podcast, Heidi.
1: Thank you so much, Mark.
0: So as we talked earlier this week, I learned more about you. You have two sisters. So there's uh, three daughters in your family. All of you are or were teachers. All three of you ran track or cross country in college. Now, I don't know why only you're the only one to come to Cedarville, but at least we got one of the right sisters to the right college in Ohio.
1: There you go, yep.
0: So I'm, I'm interested, how did Cedarville get on your radar, and why did you select Cedarville instead of where your sisters went?
1: I absolutely knew that I wanted to go to a Christian university, and uh, so that was the springboard there. And then running was important to me, so I wanted a program where I could compete at the collegiate level, And my junior year of high school, I happened to see that Cedarville offered a cross-country camp for high schoolers. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I came down for the week, met Coach King, and just loved my experience. And so right then and there, you know, Cedarville was top of my list.
0: As a student, uh, you mentioned you ran on Cedarville's cross-country team. In fact, you were on the team that won the NAIA and the NCCAA national championship. What was that like to compete at that high level uh, at Cedarville?
1: Uh, An incredible experience. And I ran for Coach King two years before the NAIA championship. So my freshman and sophomore year, I was not competing at the same level. Like I was not reaching the same times as I did in high school. And so there was a discouragement there. And at the end of my sophomore year, I met with coach King and explained to him that, you know, maybe it'd be best to just give my scholarship to somebody else. And I would serve the team as manager because I just was not satisfied with all this hard work and not the results that I expected. And so he there's some sneakiness, I think, in his response that mm-hmm. so he, you know, expressed some disappointment, but oh, yes, yes, run over the summer, come back as manager. And so that was the plan. I just I was going to come back as manager. And I kind of ended on this sad note. But I came back my junior year for cross country camp, because you know, the manager should come for camp. And coach said well why don't you just train with the team while you're here it'll give you something to do and so I did and and then our first meet was a meet that didn't count you know pre-season meet said well Heidi why don't you just run that meet you know because you can (laughs) and uh I ended up running a faster time than I had both years before and Ended up, you know, rejoining the team as a runner and the Lord just brought me full circle from this feeling of discouragement to unbelievable joy that this was the team that junior year that would take it all the way to nationals and the national meet was on my birthday. So it just got better and better like I said, full circle. The Lord just uh, really, that's a, a memorable and special time and how he cares about even little things like running and so special.
0: There's no doubt he cares about everything about us, but um, what was it that broke through for you that allowed you to run at a, a time that you would feel like you should be able to run at? Was it the reduction of stress or what was going on that helped you do better?
1: Coach King will say he thought maybe the pressure of having a scholarship was getting to me. I think that, you know, being a student athlete is a huge commitment. You not only have practices every day, but uh, the runners in particular run year round. And so I think that running in my mind was becoming more of a job than than a love. And so taking that summer where I thought I was done, and just running for the love of running instead of for this is what I'm supposed to do. This is my job. It was a fresh perspective and a new desire to do it.
0: Boy, it sure makes things more enjoyable when you're doing them out of the right motive, out of a great passion, a love for something instead of maybe duty. And I think I think that's what you're saying is that your love for running was renewed and you saw the benefits of that love.
1: Yeah, right on.
0: So are you still running today?
1: You know, I run with my son. One of my sons is, you know, an aspiring cross-country runner. And uh, we get out as much as we can, but it's definitely a pleasure and fair weather runner experience. Nothing competitive whatsoever.
0: Is he a faster runner than you?
1: Not yet but I can see that happening.
0: That's, that's cool. That's great that you can uh, share that interest with some of your family members. That's a great blessing in and by itself. Oh, I agree. So er- earlier we talked about, you know, as I said at the start, that you were a middle child education major. So you went into teaching, but there was an experience when you were a student, you mentioned earlier today, you were ministering at a church in Xenia and you were having difficulty, if I remember right, with maybe loving a middle school student, a junior high student, like you thought you should. And uh, how did you get through that situation? How did that experience help you with becoming a teacher today?
1: Yeah, part of my Cedarville experience was working as a youth group helper, youth group leader at a church in Xenia. And there was a girl in the youth group. I'm very small statured. And so she dominated me in height and was just rough, kind of a rough uh, character. And so I was a bit intimidated by her. And I was finding myself as this youth helper trying to avoid her. And the Lord really convicted me that here, my job is to show the love of Jesus to, you know, all of these youth and her, and I'm trying to hide from her, And so I was really convicted to pray, just Lord, help me love this teen, this adolescent, the way you would. Help me to show her Christ's love and love her beyond myself, this love that right now I don't have. And he just did a work. And we ended up developing a really neat friendship and mentorship for the remaining years I was at Cedarville. And not only did You know, my heart changed towards this one girl, but just towards that age group in particular. You know, the Lord did a lot of work in my life when I was in middle school, and it just started to really have a burden and love for these, you know, uh, not always everybody's favorite uh, adolescent age group, but uh, totally gave me a love for them.
0: So moving forward, once you graduated from Cedarville, you you were a teacher for three years. You decided as your family was developing that you want to take some time off and be with, be with your children, raise your children. So for 13 years, you stepped out of the classroom and devoted all your time to your family, which is highly, highly commendable. But at the start of maybe this time last year, you decided to return to the classroom. Why did you decide at the start of this school year, to come back to the classroom
1: and teach? Teaching is a very rewarding profession. I love to teach. I love my students. And so it's something too that I feel where I have the ability and this platform to be able to impact the lives of kids, not just academically, but as a Christian teacher, help them shape their biblical worldview, and just pour into you know who they are as kids developing, trying to figure out who they are. So there was that where I I think it's just such a an amazing profession.
0: So I want to transition and talk about this year. So up until the time when COVID nineteen took place, so before that, how was the year going for you? Because it had been a, it had been thirteen years since you've been in the classroom. Was it going well for you? How were the kids responding to your teaching style?
1: Right. So I was coming back a second year, coming into this year. I taught one year previously, and it was going well. You know, each year back gets a little bit easier. That first year was just kind of like, hold on tight and hope that, you know, hope that you make it through. Uh, this year we are starting to get a rhythm and you know i i could just cry thinking about my students because we just have a real relationship and camaraderie and i feel like we had developed routine and this is the time spring is the time where everything falls into place and you've overcome these obstacles of you know classroom management and so things were really starting to flow in the classroom
0: so, without going into detail of your teaching style during COVID 19, what was your thought process when you learned you had to remove yourself from the classroom and teach online?
1: Not the best attitude. I will fess up to that. I just thought that everything I love about teaching, I love just this interactive classroom. I love seeing my students, I love talking to my students. And I have This style of teaching that I don't think, I didn't think would transition well to a video. So I was less than enthused about the idea, to be honest.
0: And uh, that's where we're going to dive in for the rest of the podcast to talk about the experience. And when the COVID 19 pandemic hit all across the country, Heidi was forced to change her teaching techniques because of the, the pandemic and teach online. So she did something that. I've never seen done before. And and that is, it's, it's my understanding is you, for each class, or maybe each day, maybe that's a better way of saying it, you came to class in a different costume. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. Every day, Monday through Thursday, I would post a video lesson dressed in a way that they would never expect or never guess to see their teacher. <laughs>
0: My first question is it's hilarious when you see the videos, very well done. How did you come up with the idea to do this, to dress in a different costume each day?
1: So I just knew, I thought, you know, we went back to how I was feeling about this transition. And then I thought, man, if I, the teacher who loves to teach, am feeling this way, then what must my students be feeling like? And I just knew they must probably be just as unexcited about it. And so, you know, I was convicted again about, okay, I can't change the situation. So I want to do the best that I can with the resources I have to honor the Lord and meet the needs of my students. And I, I surprised them. I surprised them by coming on that first lesson dressed completely all in black. I had to use my son's uh, baseball eye black for, for lipstick and dark liner. And I just acted very like online school. Yay. <laughs> I tried to like, you know, you can tell just from talking to me, I'm a bubbly person. And so... Right to try to keep that act of being uh, so monotone. I could only keep it up so much, but it was enough for them to see that I knew how they were feeling and for them to be startled and surprised and kind of like, okay, maybe this won't be so bad. Mrs. Bruder's throwing the curveball, and they latched onto this idea.
0: (laughs) What were some of the comments they made or what what was the reaction to that very
1: first class? Well, it's funny because junior hires can be extremely expressive, but they also can be very guarded. And so when I had some of my guarded junior hires like comment to say, like, "Oh, that was funny, Mrs. Bruder," I thought, "Oh, wow, I am going to keep this up because even the ones that I didn't think would get a kick out of it did. So there was a lot of gifs posted. There are constantly GIFs posted on my lessons, just the way junior hires communicate. But any activity on my page is great because I know they're there. And that's what I want them to be there and be engaged.
0: Yeah, you could tell probably that they were engaged. My question to you is what were some of the costumes that you came each day to now? And for our listeners, Uh, You can go to the Cedarville Stories podcast webpage, and you'll be able to see some of the the images and and videos of Heidi Bruder. But for this sake, what were some of the um, costumes that you came dressed as?
1: So I raided our costume bin at first and just used what I had. So, you know, I was a pirate, and I was a mad scientist, and I was a (laughs) disco chick. (laughs) And then over time, I was running out of actual props and costumes. So a neighbor and friend brought over some more. And I was Hulk Hogan, you know, a WWE wrestler and Harry Potter, because she gave me a sorting hat. But then I needed to rely on makeup because I was out of costumes. So I've just done some really crazy makeup things or tried to like giving myself an extra set of eyes on my forehead or painting like making my face look like a Picasso painting. Just a whole bunch of things I've tried. A minion.
0: <laughs> did you have a favorite costume that you liked the
1: most? I did like the Picasso. I liked a Ventrela I didn't mention that. That one I mostly just liked that because I didn't think I could pull it off and it turned out better than I expected.:
0: I presume the the makeup time was probably as long as the class. it had to take a while to get the makeup just like you had it because it was really professionally done.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, so we have budgeted time where I try to pre-record over the weekend while my husband's home, then I try to pre-record my lessons and, and get my makeup done right. But somebody asked, well, how long does it take you? And I said, it's Corona. What is time? I mean, we're all like, everything is thrown off anyway with this timetable we have. So I've sort of lost track of days, lost track of time.
0: So I've seen, I don't know if I've seen all the pictures. You sent me a lot. I did see three videos. I have to admit, my favorite video of the ones that you sent me was um, your favorite things that you confiscated that were distractions of your students. Tell it, tell that story.
1: Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so I, instead of just taking my, you know, distracting things from my students, like if they're playing with a paperclip and won't stop, like or are more interested in the paperclip than they are in my lesson, instead of just taking that and hiding it away, I have these baggies on my wall. Uh, it would label Mrs. Bruder's favorite new toys and so they I take it and I proudly display it in the baggie on the wall and the man I have a great collection of stuff that apparently is more interesting than me Um, (laughs) and so I brought those back from my classroom and yeah just taped them and safety pinned them like all over myself and thought now all of your favorite distractions are on me and so you have no reason not to be laser focused on me today during this lesson
0: yeah it was it was classic and uh you know so you 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 did this these costumes for multiple weeks could you tell by by the time that you were done with classes that your creativity kept them more engaged and learning was better
1: I think that what I've found uh, both in the classroom and now is just that enthusiasm is contagious and so I think that when my students see that I'm putting this work in to make this as enjoyable as possible for you then they're willing to put the work in that I'm expecting of them and I don't have participation from all my students. It's not a magic charm of sorts. But I do see them responding knowing, man, Mrs. Bruder sure is trying, so I'm going to try too.
0: Yeah, I I have to think it gives you a platform just to be real with the students, whether it's in class or out of class. Uh, Mrs. Bruder is someone that I can talk to, I can relate to. She's fun. It has to be beneficial long term for those students.
1: Yeah, I hope, you know, I feel that if if students feel the way I sort of felt when I was a student, that teachers just the bell rings and then they go into their little cupboard for the night and don't have a life outside of school, that's just so sad. When they see you as a real person that cares about them personally, And I had excellent teachers, it was not their fault. It was my, you know, just not realizing they were people outside of school. But I think that when our students see us for, you know, not just somebody that's interested in teaching the curriculum and assigning the grades, but values them as a person too, it does. It builds relationships and lasting ones. My students from, man, 15 years ago, I. I'm very, I'm still close to several of them.
0: Yeah, I predict that uh, the students that you taught online this year with all the various costumes will never forget it. And whenever they see you, when you're my age and older, they're going to come up to you and say, do you remember when? And thank you for doing this. And I just can't imagine the, the lasting impact that you've had on these students this year. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being open to... Um, new ways. That's that's commendable.
1: Oh, thank you. And I, I really hope that they also you know it's not just about makeup and about costumes, because, you know, everything we do, we do for the Lord. And so right. I hope that they see the love behind it and see that even this was a way to glorify Him.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as we transition toward near the end of the podcast, I want to get into really the reason why you just shared the story and why you did what you did. And that really is rooted in your faith in Jesus. Can you share with us your faith journey and how, how, and when you first met Jesus?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. I love testimonies because the gospel doesn't change, but God is mm-hmm. so personal and how he reaches us and woos us. And so they're so encouraging for me to hear. I, Uh, I was scared into heaven by my older sister originally. (laughs) Really? She she convinced me that everyone in the family was going to heaven except me. (laughs) (laughs) And I needed Jesus. Yes, yes. And I had to be about four. I was saved in the bathtub. I mean, just a very, it was memorable. Um, And I do believe that even at that young age, and even not having a full understanding of the gospel, that that really was my salvation, where I knew I needed Jesus. I knew my sin was enough to separate me from him. But then it was later, not until about middle school, that the Lord really, really transformed my life. I just, And this was not my family's doing or my school's doing or my church's doing. It was really just, I latched on to a lie, this lie that in order to be loved and accepted by God and to really be used by him, that I was going to have to be perfect. And, Mm. you know, middle schoolers are really idealistic. And so I just, I was making list after list, like, okay, I have to earn these grades and I have to win my races and I have to get up early and get my quiet time done. And I have to weigh a certain weight. And I was living under this tremendous burden and pressure. And try, 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 strive, strive, strive. To achieve perfection, which, you know, if we even try in one area, we fail. And our school had this spiritual life week. And a speaker came in. His name was Dave Busby. And he set these two chairs up as this object lesson on stage. And he said, if Jesus was here today and you were in one chair and he was in the other chair, what would he say to you? And I immediately, I mean, without a doubt in my mind, immediately, I thought, because I'm exhausted, I'm exhausted from trying so hard and failing and failing and failing. I just thought he would say how disappointed he was in me. And I mean, that breaks my heart now. Yeah. But, But, well, that's just racing through my mind and I'm feeling defeated and like such just a terrible person. Uh. Dave continues and he said, I know, I know what he would say to you. And he said, if Jesus was sitting right before you today, he would tell you, I love you. And I'd grown up in the church. Like I knew that that was head knowledge. I would have spouted off to anyone. But at that moment, it went from my head to my heart. And you were talking about duty earlier. All of a sudden the Christian faith wasn't like, responding to the Lord as a duty, these are duties as a Christian or what a Christian should look like, but responding to the Lord in love and joy for what he had done for me and just the very fact that he loved me. And it was life-changing, absolutely life-changing, the way I view the world now, um, security and confidence, because my value comes from the Lord and not from others' opinions or what uh you know my work, and I'm just so, so thankful that he nipped that lie in the bud and gave me truth.
0: so I wasn't even planning to ask this question, but I want to bring this story a little further. So a middle school was a transformational time for you. then ultimately, you went to college. so from your time at Cedarville as a student, I have to believe there were pockets there that helped you grow in your faith, what what could have some of those pockets been? What what helped you at Cedarville even develop your faith even more?
1: Yeah, uh, the chapels just daily being fed. Uh, you know, we were so, I'm so thankful for our chapels. I am thankful too, because I grew up in a very bubble-like childhood, and I'm thankful that Cedarville Even though it has, you know, its protective barriers to keep us safe, it was freedom for me. And I'm just so thankful that all throughout that experience, while I was still developing who I was as a growing into an adult, that Cedarville was always pointing me, guiding me to like uh, who I was in Christ. I can remember, and my husband and I were just talking about this the other day, and we can't agree on who the speaker was. But we had an experience during Cedarville where the Lord was really ministering to us through the word of God in chapel and a storm rolled in and the power went out. And so you can imagine like you'd think, oh, rats, chapel's over. But no, 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 no. The speaker just kept speaking. And all of a sudden you're in pitch blackness, like every distraction stripped away from you. Just hearing the this auditorium is silent except for the voice of our speaker, you know, delivering the word of God. And that was just so, so powerful and impactful. And really all of our chapels were, but that one's really memorable.
0: I've heard that story. I've heard about that chapel, but I did hear that story uh, from several people in, in my ten years being at Cedarville. So um, that's a great memory. Thanks for sharing that. My last question before uh, we end the podcast, and I ask this to everybody at the end, and that is, what is the Lord teaching you right now as you care for your family, as you deal with COVID-19? Just where you are right now in your life, what's the Lord teaching you today?
1: I've had two things that have really been impressed on me during this time. One more recent, and then one throughout this whole time. You probably wouldn't be surprised to know Based on my testimony, that my verse that I have just clung to for 20 years has been Psalm 126 3. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Mm. I love that verse. I feel like I live by that verse, but there's always been this nag, a little nag in the back of my mind saying, Do you just cling to that verse because your life has been so good? Mm. And so, this time where everything has been turned upside down, good things have come from it, but there's been a lot of obstacles and challenges that we faced in our family right now. And so to be able to put that verse to the test and say, even now, God is so good. Mm. Even now when things have gotten hard, yes, God is still good and I can live with joy. And that has been just really reaffirming and encouraging to me. And then more recently, since uh, this story has kind of gotten out there about my teaching, I'm just marveling and almost, and I don't mean it in an irreverent way, but just, just marveling at the humor of God and his workings because, Who would have thought that this little Christian school teacher from a tiny school in a little town would now have this opportunity, dressing up as Yoda, no less, (laughs) um, (laughs) would now have this opportunity to be able to talk about the Lord, to be able to share my testimony. And so just the Lord uses our little teensy offerings for his purposes. And I just love that we don't always have to do great big things. He's going to use whatever we offer to him. And that has also been, I just marvel at his plan.
0: Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, just for our listeners' sake, uh, just so they understand a little bit. So wh- what Heidi was just talking about, it was uh, this story about her teaching in costume has captured the uh, the interest of some media some in Michigan, some in Ashley. Heidi did a recorded radio interview with Caleb, so maybe you heard that between now and uh, when this podcast started. But yeah, it's really neat to see how the Lord uses just simple things for His glory, and I thank Him for how He has used you. You are a breath of fresh air. You're bubbly. It's obvious you love your family. You love Jesus, and you're devoted yourself to doing just that, to share the love of Jesus with junior high students or whoever comes in contact with you. So Heidi, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's a delight to meet you by screen and by phone. And whenever you guys come down to Cedarville, I'd love to meet your family. It'd be great.
1: Oh, I'd like that too. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories Podcast, brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.